Thank you, Ryan. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, how we thank you uh, for this morning, for this opportunity to gather around the truth of the gospel and around your word. Lord, we thank you that uh, your word revives us. Your word, as the scripture says, is like honey to our lips. And so uh, my prayer this morning is that you would revive us, that you would speak to us, that your word would minister to us today, that we might follow you and trust you. Would you take just a moment right where you're seated to ask the Lord to speak to you from his word this morning? Lord, we trust you. We ask that we might have ears to hear what you want to say today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning again. It is, as I said, great to be together. And uh, today, in in some ways, it's kind of like the last day of summer for uh, many of us as uh, school starts tomorrow for a lot of us. And uh, kind of we've been through the summer and walking through that. And so one of the things we've done the last nine or 10 summers is we've taken uh, a two-day road trip um, uh, across, you know, all the way to Colorado. And we've done this for a number of years now. And, and kind of when we started, when the kids were really young, uh, Mandy would always, I, I'm usually the driver, and Mandy would always talk about how she had to do like minivan yoga to like get to the back, you know, to like reach the thing that the kid dropped only to get it back and get back. And then the kid drops it again, and then you have to go back and do it again. And when they were younger, we were kind of like, okay, we're going we're gonna to listen to a book together, you know. We're going to have great conversations about life and faith and vacations, and you know, and we're gonna, this is gonna be awesome. Um, but as we've gotten, they've gotten a little older, and as we've become a little more seasoned as road trippers, we've learned that the only way to actually make it through is if all five of us do our own thing. Um, so you can send me parent books. I know it's bad parenting, but we'll, I'll, I'll read them. Uh, but we have learned that all five of us get our own thing and we get on the road trip. And so every road trip has, uh, in a sense, a trajectory we've learned over the years. And we start off strong. You know, like everyone's got their book, everyone's got their headphones, whatever they're doing. I'm usually listening to a book or whatever, and, and we're just cruising along. I'm looking in the rearview mirror, and I'm like, man, this is great. I'm so glad we did this, you know? And we're driving, and we're driving, and we're driving, and we're driving, and we stop for the first bathroom break in Denton. And, um, <laughs> and uh, usually the kids are like, hey, uh, are we still in Texas? Yeah, we're going to be in Texas for like nine more hours. We got a ways to go here. Uh, and so we're driving, and, and, and kind of the, the, this is where the trajectory goes. Uh, at some point, it's kind of hard to predict when it will happen, but in the drive, in the road trip, it goes into the valley of despair, <laughs> where literally everyone is in a bad mood. We're cranky, we're hangry, we're thirsty, we need to go to the bathroom, or we're really mad that somebody else needs to go to the bathroom, so we have to stop. And so we go into this valley of despair, and you're like, why do we do this? And then there's this moment, at least in our car, where we get, it's usually really close to the end, where we get into this road trip delirium. And it is this sort of ridiculousness where there's just like this laughing and, and, and like a silly, but the problem is, it's hard to predict, not everyone is getting silly. It's usually two or three people. The other people are still in the valley of despair and they are so upset with the other people for being silly. And then we, we stop and we sleep the night and we get up the next morning and we do it again all over, right? And we're like, why do we do this? You know, we, every road trip has the trajectory. It has high highs. It has low lows. We're, we're walking through the valley of despair. Where we're looking back in the rearview mirror. Man, I love this. We're walking through it. Why do we do it? Because we're trying to get where we're going. We endure. We, we get through the road trip for the destination. In our case, for Colorado, we want to get there. So we 
walk through it. And over the summer, we've been walking through Hebrews 11, uh, that chapter in the Bible where it talks about those faithful men and women who have trusted God in unbelievable scenarios. Many of them have trusted God when they're hemmed in on both sides, where there's the Red Sea and the army behind them, or they're coming before Jericho, this fortified city, and they're walking around it, hoping that God will provide, and the city literally falls. Or they're trusting God that he would provide a child that God has promised in their old age. We've walked through all of those things. And the reality is, as we've been walking through that, what we've seen is this faith in the midst of truly high highs and low, low lows. As we heard in the reading today, as Ryan was reading, he, he then kind of goes into, he says, you know, time would fail me to talk about all these guys, David and Samuel and Jephthah. And he just, he goes through, he says, we're not going to talk about all of them. But what he does, and as we heard in the reading, is he kind of sets up two categories of walking by faith. Uh, and I want to look at this again. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Hebrews 11. And the reading that we heard is a little bit of this is he says, time would fail me to talk about all these people. But this is what he says, verse 33 who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. And so we kind of have this first category of of those who've been walking by faith. And in some way, it's kind of what we've already seen as we've been walking through Hebrews 11. It's this category of of miraculous victory. I mean, it is shutting the mouth of lions, resurrection from the dead, conquering kingdoms, enforcing justice. I mean, all of these things, quenching the power of fire, this miraculous victory as they have been walking by faith. Now, I have not heard any stories of anyone in our church who has stopped the mouths of lions, but we have experienced unbelievable mercies and miracles as a church. I've seen it. I know parents in our church right now who were told that they would never have children, and guess what? They have kids running around after the service, and it always just, it's emotional to see. I know kids in our church right now who um, were told they had three days to live when they were born, and now they are teenagers in our church. I know people in our church who've experienced unbelievable freedom from addiction and from lies that they believed for decades that shaped them. I know people in our church who've been miraculously healed from disease and chronic pain. Uh, I know people in our church who who were released from from a circumstance or a situation and lots of different factors that where God came through and released them from a situation that they thought would never happen. I know people in our church who have been reconciled to other people who they, in broken relationships where they thought that would never happen. It was maybe been years or even decades and on and on and on. We've seen God work. We've seen God bring beautiful, miraculous victory in the now. And some of us, we may be in a spot where we're going, man, I, this is kind of where I'm at. I'm hemmed in. I'm asking the Lord to, to come through in something. Maybe it's something specific. Maybe there's something really specific on your heart today. You're like, I'm, I need God to come through in this. And I'm asking for him to do that. And, and we're begging God and we're trusting God. And, and here's what we know from the scriptures. That God is able to do it. He can shut the mouths of lions. He can bring people back from the dead. And so there is this element that faith is the recognition that he is the deliverer. And he can bring about deliverance that no one else can. And the object of our faith is what matters here. 
And, and we've been saying this some throughout this, this series because it, it might be kind of easy to look at these faithful people and be like, man, their faith was incredible. The, the level of their faith, the value of their faith, man, I could never attain to that. But that's not what Hebrews 11 is really about. They were faithful, but it's all about the object of their faith, that they trusted God to come through. And I can only imagine that they, like we, uh, when these things happen, they, they bow down, they stand in awe, and they worship God and say, wow, you did it. But the challenge is, and all of us know it, is that we've lived long enough to know that it doesn't always work out like that. In fact, it's been one of the most consistent questions I've had throughout this summer in Hebrews 11. What happens when I'm trusting God for something? I'm waiting for something to happen. I'm begging God to do something, and it's not happening. Because I know people in our church who prayed for loved ones to be healed, and God did not heal them in the way that we hoped. And we've prayed for people and reconciliation for situations and circumstances that have not worked out the way that we hoped they would and prayed that they would. And some people in our church have prayed for children and God has not provided. And so the author of Hebrews is, is talking about all these miraculous things that God did. And these people trusted God. The object of their faith is clearly God and God came through. But as he's talking about this first category, almost abruptly, he switches over, and, in, and even in our verses, it's right in the middle of the verse, verse 35. He says, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Aren't you glad you came to church today? What do we do with this? We love to talk about faith when there's victory in the now. But what about faith in the midst of suffering? What about the faith? And this sort of sets up that second category. What, what about faith when it just feels like what you're experiencing or what we're experiencing is suffering defeat? It doesn't feel like victory at all, actually. It feels like defeat. It feels like loss. It feels like failure. It feels like suffering. What happened? Well, just, did they just not have enough faith? Is faith only noteworthy when you're faced against an army and you win? Or you come up against the Red Sea and it parts? Or is faith noteworthy to walk, to endure, to have long suffering, to persevere in the midst of pain? Now, this can be suffering that comes, as many of these did, because of um, the persecution for their faith. This could be suffering where it comes to, we're asking God for something, but, but it doesn't seem like God's coming through in the way we hoped he would. This could be his suffering because we live in a broken world and there's brokenness abounds and we live in the midst of it. But I think there's an important question we have to ask when it comes to walking by faith. The question is, will we trust God even if the thing we're asking for does not happen this side of heaven? Will we trust him when it feels like defeat, when it feels like suffering, when it feels like failure? And what does trust look like? This kind of trust 
I think looks like a word we're going to see here in a little bit when we continue in the passage. This word, endurance. Its synonyms are long-suffering, perseverance. It's this long obedience in the same direction. It is trusting while we walk through suffering. In fact, look at how he says, look at the next verse, verse 39. All these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Now notice this, whether or not they shut the mouths of lions or they were sawn in two, they're both commended for their faith. And notice, neither received the ultimate promise. I mean, if you're hearing the story of the person who, who shut the mouth of lions, you're like, well, it sounds like you received the promise. No, because there's more to this. Now, this is difficult for us. I, this is, I think if we're going to just be really honest, as we're walking and we're trying to trust God, it's difficult for us to say, what do I do when it just feels like I'm trusting him, but it just is leading to suffering or pain? I remember a few years ago, uh, a friend of ours uh, was working for a company that um, some other friends of ours started, and it was a great company. And they had, I mean, these, these were Christian you know, guys who started the company, and they were faithful. They led it really well. It was sort of like their work baby. You know, they birthed it, and they loved it, and then they had this opportunity to sell it. And, and when they sold the company, they, they really they did their due diligence. They prayed it through, and they were kind of like, okay, we feel like God's leading us to do this, and we're going to do it. And so they, they sold it. And they sold the company. And, and of course, they're kind of like, I really want to make sure you take care of all these employees. They had hired a lot of employees and friends that they knew. And, and so, but shortly after that, um, the, the people who sold it kind of showed their true, who bought it, sold their, showed their true colors. And all of a sudden, we're not treating these employees well. And it was a pretty bad situation. And our friend who worked for them was like, I, I'm so confused by this. Because they prayed you know, they trusted God. They fasted over this decision. They, they really sought the Lord before they sold it, but they sold it and then it all fell apart. And she was like, I, 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 I really don't understand this. And, and we can relate to that, can't we? When we say, okay, I'm doing all the right things. I'm, tr- I'm trusting God. I'm praying. I'm seeking. And yet it's just not going the way I thought it would go. And what that comment betrayed in her was this Reality that she believed that this is the way the world works all the time. That if I do good, if I pray, if I do the right things, then God will bless it. God will give me the thing that I want. We talked about this a a few weeks ago in our all-church Bible study on the problem of evil. This idea that in many ways we kind of tend to to believe, as Stephen said that that night, um, in karma God. It's like, as long as I do enough good, then I, then I will receive good back. And this is a tendency that we tend to have when it comes to our idea of God, but especially our idea of God and our theology of suffering. In fact, it is um, exactly what uh, Job's friends said to Job as he was walking through suffering. They said, surely you've done something wrong because this is the way the world works. If you do it right, God will bless it. And that's not what happened and so I think we have this, we have to come to grips with this recognition of what does it mean when we're walking faithfully, we're walking in suffering. If we pray about a decision, it may work out the way we hope it does, but it may not. If we're faithful, it may work out, the lion's, the lion's mouth may be shut or not. This is the challenge I think that we have. If we go, okay, well, if I'm thrown into the fire, 
I won't be burned. Just like Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego weren't. And they weren't. But do you remember what they said? We have this, Daniel 3, I'm not going to turn there, but it says, they said this before they're thrown into the fire. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able, able, to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. In other words, notice this. We trust that God will do this. But even if he doesn't, we still trust in him. So what does faith look like? when we're doing what we feel like is the right thing, we're being faithful and it just keeps leading to suffering and pain and failure and loss and defeat. Now notice something very important. They have the same object of their faith. The object of their faith is God. Those that are commended by their faith and whether they're suffering or whether they're in or walking in joy, they are commended for their faith in God. It's how we can sing It is well with my soul, even when sorrows like sea billows roll. That's why we can sing that, because our faith is in God. Now, look at what this is about. Now, remember, it's not the measure of their faith. It's the object of their faith. Look back at verse 39. All these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Now, this is really interesting. Their faith, it says none of them received what was promised. None of them. But their faith was in something greater. Their faith was in something beyond their life. And this is a really interesting statement he makes here. Because their faith was in something that they were waiting for God to do with, and he changes the tense here, with us. With believers of all generations. And so they trusted God, even though they had not realized their ultimate hopes and would not until the end. God has something better for them and for us. And this is fascinating. The perfecting of these faithful people in the Old Testament, in other words, like the realization of their hopes, awaits that of you and me, the same hope that we have. It's the ultimate miraculous victory. It's the destination that's what they were looking at. That's how they were walking. Now, just this week, I uh, uh, saw a billboard for a church that said, find victory now. Visit our church, you know. And I was like, okay, I, mean, I, I get it. Like, yes, uh, there's only victory in Christ. And, uh, and we do have victory in a sense now. But, but that's not in the way we tend to think of it. When we see find victory now, we're like, I want to go to that church. Because I want my things to come through. I want what I'm asking for to come through. I want victory now. But what Hebrews 11 continues to say over and over and over again is that what they were looking to was not to the now. Yes, God may provide a miraculous victory in the now. But if they're walking through suffering defeat, that's not the end of the story. They are looking to the destination. In fact, uh, just you know, flip right back in that same chapter, verse 13. We read this a few weeks ago. These all died in faith not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Now, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. They're not looking back. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. You see, faith, walking by faith, 
I think as, as the author of Hebrews is concluding this part of the, the, the book, walking by faith is believing that God can come through in the moment. He can. We believe it. But believing that he absolutely will fulfill what he has promised, which is the ultimate destination, the, mirac- the ultimate miraculous victory, true victory, a new heavens and a new earth. And as good as all these stories are, and as good as all the things that God has provided for these people in Hebrews 11, they are still waiting for what we wait for. Jesus to return. I have a new heavens and a new earth. Every time I do a funeral, I, I say something to the effect of um, death, suffering, pain, defeat. It's not how it's supposed to be. There's a reason that we're broken about that because that's not how it is supposed to be. But it's also not the end of the story. And so faith is this belief that God can come through. He can shut the mouth of a lion. And sometimes he does. But it's also belief that even if he doesn't, and even if what we're invited into is suffering defeat, it feels like defeat, our hope and our faith is in that better city that heavenly city, the new heavens and the new earth, just like these saints in Hebrews 11. It's enduring with the ultimate destination in mind. Now that doesn't mean there's not joy and there's not peace and there's not victory even in the now, right? Just like the road trip, there's great things about it. Oh, I love this. There's so much that we have in Christ right now. But I don't want us to miss that what our eyes are supposed to be focused on while we endure is on the hope and the promise that he will fulfill. In fact, in many ways, um, that's how the author of Hebrews concludes, I think. Um, Hebrews 12 is actually the the conclusion of, of Hebrews 11. Look at Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all that we've just heard about in Hebrews 11, all those faithful people, and not only that, but all the followers of Jesus since then and currently, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. He says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us, here it is, run with endurance the race that is set before us. The race is one of endurance. It's a, it's a marathon. It's a long-suffering. It's a perseverance. It's endurance. It's trusting him in the as we continue to walk. And for some of us in kind of this stage as we're switching into kind of this fall, we need to hear this. Like this is what the race we're invited to run. It's one of endurance. But how? Look at what he says. Looking to Jesus, the founder of, and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, looking to him. You see, I think our tendency is to look at the now and to look at what's right in front of us, but here's the invitation, and I love some translations where it says, fixing our eyes on him, who, notice what it says, who for the joy set before him, looking to the future, What does he do? He endures the cross. He despises the shame. Jesus, who came to this earth and suffered and died for us, what was he looking to? The joy set before him. 
And one of the best things we can say as Christians in the midst of suffering is, no, God has not exempted us from suffering. We will suffer. It is a part of it. But he did not exempt his own son, Jesus, who came to this earth and suffered and died in our place so that we might be then invited into all the promises that come with Christ. And so Jesus is the author of our faith. He's the example. As he walked, we walk. He endured the suffering, looking to the joy. But he's also the perfecter or the completer. He's the one who promises to come and to return and to make all things new and to allow us to feast with him and to weep no more forever. We fix our eyes and we fix our eyes on Jesus while we endure what we see and what continues to move us forward in faith is, where, is the better destination. We endure because of the destination. We trust because he's faithful to do what he said he will do. He will return and he will perfect. He will complete all of this in new heavens and a new earth with them together. I think as Hebrews 11 closes out, as we close out this series, my hope for us is that we don't miss in the midst of all the busyness, all the back to school stuff, all the things that start tomorrow. We, don't, we fix our eyes on Jesus and the hope that we have in him. Not for the now, but forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this chapter that has been challenging and convicting because the reality is trusting you is challenging. As we've talked about all summer, our tendency to, to control the now, to try to bring about our own victories But the reality is we are invited to trust you for the now, but ultimately for that new and better city the Lord, you are coming to bring. And so as Hebrews 12 said, Lord, we want to take a moment as we prepare our hearts for communion to, to lay aside all that hinders us the sin that so easily entangles us. And maybe even ask a question of reflection here before we take communion. What is it that is entangling us? What is it that's keeping us from trusting, from fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, his broken body and his blood shed so that we could be children of God. We could be forgiven. We could be in his kingdom and live with you forever. May we have our eyes, our minds, and our hearts set on you as we look to that better city. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.